of Jackson Elias, an occasional podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films, and horror gaming in general. I'm Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Dorwood. And I'm Matt Sanderson. So, before we get going, I think there's been some pretty big news this week. Yeah, the uh, seventh head is finally out, in PDF form at least. Yeah, and damn pretty it is too. Very nice. So we've got three things on the shelf, well, on the on the virtual shelf now. We've got the, uh, what have we got? We've got the rule book, the investigator's handbook, and the keeper screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In millions of formats. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Some of which I don't even know what they are. So what is PRC? We've just looked it up. Tell us, Scott. Apparently it's the file format that Palm devices use. Uh, and in other news, there are still Palm devices out there. What's a Palm device? I think I had one of those a long time ago. But, yeah. It was like the thing that people used before they had mobile phones to store data on, and it was kind of a... PDA. Anyway, getting back to some more sane topics, what are we talking about tonight, gents? Well, this uh, this episode we are talking about the UK convention circuit. Is that the topic? Yes, it is. It is. Okay, Mm -hmm. so uh, we're going to have a quick uh, run through the various conventions in the UK. So we're aiming this to you, dear listener, on two uh, fronts. Maybe you've uh, heard about conventions, but you've not been to one. Or you're a regular at some conventions, but there are some conventions you haven't been to. Or alternatively, you are a convention-goer, but in a country other than the UK, and you want to know something about what UK conventions are like. Yeah, and given as we've been to conventions overseas, we know how we do things fairly differently over here. Scott, you're the oldest one here. When did you first go to a convention? Well, the first convention I went to, I think, was probably around 1984 or so. Oh, okay. Uh, but that wasn't in the UK. That was before I moved to the UK. Oh. Uh, yeah, no, I went to a few conventions when I lived in the US. Uh, a couple of local ones in New York. And then I went to the Atlanta Fantasy Festival. But um, I, th- there was some role-playing at those. And I, I did I did play in a few games, uh, certainly the ones in New York. Uh, but mostly I went there to basically just geek out. And UK cons? UK cons I've been going for, oh gosh, must be about ten years now. The first convention I went to was the first ever Continuum, which I'm pretty sure was ten years ago. So, I guess that means I've been going ten years. Holy oh, crap, okay. I've been going to conventions longer than you have in the UK. Wow! <laughs> well, so when was your first one, Matt? I, I, I've been trying to pin it down. It must, it's somewhere between 2000 and 2002, because I remember it was when I was still at sixth form uh, that I went down to what at the time was Gen Con UK down in um, Kensington. Yeah, it ran there. The last one there was 2003. Ah, there we go. Yes, it'd be probably be 01 or 02. How about you, Paul? Well, okay. Well, uh, the first one I went to, I think, was at York House. Oh, Um, it was campaign. York House is our local where our local role playing games club is held. Uh, And in the early 80s, there was a one day convention there held by the um, Wargaming Society. They have a yearly convention, or they they did, I don't know if they still do it. They do campaign. They they do, it's just held up in central Milton Keynes now, right? Up in the shopping centre. Oh, well, there's 
one we didn't think to throw in but um so uh, yeah i went i remember i went along there for a day it's probably like 82 or 83 or something like that but the first big convention i went to was games day in 1984 i think um down in london uh, maybe the, like the royal horticultural hall or something like that i remember the monster manual 2 for ad and d was just published so uh, sorry you said the the royal horticultural hall I think that was it. Okay, well, so you were kind of surrounded by orchids and the like. Yeah, Triffids mainly, <laughs> and Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston. Yeah, over there. But I guess the nice thing about having a convention in a horticultural place is that you've got all those nice, you know, fragrant flowers to offset. There were no flowers, guys. <laughs> yeah, he's got to get rid of the game of funk somehow. Yeah, <laughs> there were just guys with figures and books. That was it. Well, that's no fun. That was that was it. That was it. That was your lot. Oh. oh, in my head, it's full of flowers. I was seventeen. It seemed like a lot of fun to me. <laughs> so we're going to talk about a subset of UK conventions. I, considering that this is a comparatively small country, well, geographically, not in terms of people, there are a lot of conventions in the UK. We're just going to talk about the ones that we personally have been to. Uh, and more more particularly, we're going to talk about the ones we've been to that are still going, because, you know, sadly there are a fair few that have fallen by the way, wayside. Like Gen Con UK, Battle Masters, Excalibur. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just saying that to see the look on Paul's face. <laughs> there's a grin and a nod. There's, yeah, yeah there, there's quite a few that have fallen by the wayside. But if you want to keep up on what conventions are actually live in the UK these days, Phil Masters keeps a, a fairly up-to-date list. Uh, it's not absolutely comprehensive because it relies on on what information people send to him and give him. He's got a a list which he keeps on his website uh, which has got dates and booking information and so on. Uh, So we'll link to that and that'll cover some of the ones that we don't talk about. If you know any that he doesn't then it might be worthwhile dropping him a line. Mm, Particularly if you organise one of them. So we're going to go through these conventions roughly in calendar order as they go through the the year. I, uh, some of them have changed around during the year. Some of them are of variable dates. So, you know, this this may not be strictly chronological order, but it's it's close to it. So what the hell? So to begin our walk through the convention year, we'll start with conception. One of the ones that I frequent. Um... I have the pleasure of frequenting in January in the cold and the wet and the snow and the wind and rain and the, all the glorious weather we get pretty much every every time apart from 10 days in the country. Um, down at Hober Nash Holiday Park, just outside New Milton on the south coast, is Conception. I don't know if the beginning of the year seems quite an appropriate title. Um, I did a little bit of research around why the convention has its name as well. Um, it was conceived... Boom, Um, by Andrew Mussel after a trip to Gen Con UK in Loughborough uh, back in 1999. Um, Andrew had worked at Hoburn Holidays for some time and believed that on-site accommodation would be key to making a successful event. So he convinced the manager that the gamers would eat and drink a lot there, and that pretty much convinced him. Um, As Andrew said um, on the website, he had pretty much his personal experience to go by, so it didn't take the manager much convincing. Um, The first event had just 90 attendees uh, with two rooms and a bar, a um, pub quiz and a last-minute ad hoc raffle that they organise. And the name came from the condition of Andrew's wife at the time when he was setting the convention up. 
In retrospect, he thought one of the better titles should have been uh, controversial in that he was having discussions with the organisers of Gen Con UK and saying, well, why don't you put other non-RPGA association games up on the boards and have everyone um, have the ability to sign up for games all at the same time? Well, if you can do any better, then you go and do it. And he did. And it's turned out to be one hell of a convention. Mm. And now uh, going on into its 15th year. Uh, um, no, more than 15th year, actually, isn't it? I think. Uh, yeah, must be getting on for that. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, what, <laughs> what that means, though, is if you're looking for a name for a convention out there, controversial's not taken. There you go, yeah, at least not, not, not that we're aware of. Yeah. One of the other nice things about the convention is that they've regularly they've made a surplus, whether it be big or small, but it's gone to one of the local charities in the area, um, normally in the New Milton area. Um, I think there's well, a running kids the, theme. Yeah, they, they do. They do it in conjunction with the New Milton Round Table, I think. That's it. And yeah. they, I know they've also raised money for Help for Heroes before as well. Yes, uh, or Scotty's Little Soldiers, or some, something along those lines. Well, definitely war-related war charities. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's certainly Help for Heroes. I remember that. Yeah. So the. Which leads actually nicely on to the accommodation side of things. One of the things that we always thought was nice to in our discussion setting up about conventions is actually to let people know what they cost, because unfortunately there are costs for, cost for conventions. Conception's quite nice, and as mentioned, that in fact you've got on-site accommodation. Um, there's a range of facilities on offer, everything from a four-bedroom lodge down to a single room, either on-site or off-site, caravan, um, apartments, to two bedroom, three bedroom, etc. There's a range that you have on um, available there. Well, yeah, as you mentioned before, it is actually a holiday camp, so this is all holiday camp accommodation. Because it's off peak and there's off season, there's not many of the norms there, so you don't have to worry about scaring anyone um, if you're worried about uh, outside. <laughs> Scott's looking pretty much <laughs> trying to be innocent there, but. <laughs> Scott I, I, does try to scare people anyway, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't need norms or innocence for that. <sighs> four bedroom lodges at the top end of the scale range from about four hundred pounds down to individual rooms at one hundred and seventy. You also have to purchase tickets at the rate of three pounds per ticket, which are used to buy your entry into the various game slots that you sign up for. Um, these become a raffle that is drawn at the end of the convention and also as a means to actually pay into the game, so it's a way for them to recuperate costs on top of the accommodation. And don't they also run a system whereby for GMs, um, when you uh, give in your sign-up sheet that, that for a game you've run, you get you can use it as credit against accommodation on the next you year? Can, you can use it for a couple of things. You can either use it... Uh, well, you can use it as credit for the accommodation. You get for each ticket you hand in... Um, uh, as a GM, you get £5 off your accommodation. Mm -hmm. If you have a certain number, I think it's something like eight, you can actually pre-book earlier than other people, so you can get one of the good lodges. And the other thing you can use them for is you can use them in place of the player tickets. So if you don't want to play, uh, if you want to play another game and you don't want to pay the £3 fee, you can use your GM ticket. But yeah. it's kind of nice that they have a system for rewarding GMs. Yes. Um, yeah. we, we might talk about that with other conventions, but uh, yeah. And also you can enter it into a GM-only raffle at the end of the uh, convention as well. Yes. That sounds like quite an expensive convention from what you've said about the raids, but you get a lot for that, don't you? Well, considering the length of the convention, yes. Uh, starts on a Wednesday evening and runs through until late on Sunday, pretty much midnight Sunday, really. Yeah. Um, most people tend to go home either on the Sunday before the last slot or they stay overnight on the Monday and then drive home after that. I know that that's what I definitely do because it takes so long to pack the bar away. So you're getting four or five nights accommodation and a self-catering lodge. Mm -hmm. 
with, um, with a lot of facilities as well. So for yeah. about £100 each, if you're sharing a lodge. Yeah, yeah. if you get a big lodge and you split it between a lot of you and you're, you're willing to share rooms, you can get it for less than that. I mean, it can work out as little as £60 a head. So even with the, even with a two bedroom lodge, you've got one room which will be a double and one room which will be a um, like a king size bed. Uh, plus you've got a sofa bed in there as well, so you can put someone else up on that. Yeah, there you go. So it does suddenly two beds doesn't become only two people. So yeah, you actually get uh, potentially fourteen slots of gaming there because as well as you know the, the the starting on the Wednesday evening, there's an informal what they refer to as slot zero on Wednesday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, if if you are if you're desperate for gaming, you can play or even I, I hear tell GM for fourteen slots in a row. Really, Scott? Would you know anybody crazy enough to do that? Oh God, no. I, to be fair, I only managed thirteen and a half. I had a I was stum- say, I thought you did, but. I, I had a stomach bug in the last slot, and I ended up the the, the players ended up cancelling the game for me because I kept running b- backwards and forwards to the lavatory and vomiting, you know, in mid narration. I remember that I was there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You looked terrible. <laughs> I felt I, was... I felt pretty awful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we should say that it's pretty difficult booking up for this uh, mm. convention because yeah. it's um, even though it's got a what three four hundred person capacity at least. Tickets sell out in minutes, don't but they? Minutes? You, you're really, really um, ambitious. More like seconds or fraction of a second. Yeah, the, the way the booking works is that you send an email to the organisers when booking opens, which is sometime in July, isn't it? I think it's the, I think it's the, um, it's the 1st yeah. of July, basically midnight. Yeah, you, you send them that email and they deal with them in the order in which they go in. So everyone times their emails to go off at the stroke of midnight. And if yours turns up one second later than everyone else's, you're shit out of luck. Mm-hmm. It's incredible that this this demands such um, so many applicants, um, given yeah. the number of attendees to most UK cons. Yeah, but well, but high demand. Well, yeah, but it, I mean, it's, it's capped obviously by the size of the venue. They can't you yeah, know, book anymore. Quite sizable. But I think one of the things that makes Conception such, such a successful convention is the fact that it's not just a tabletop role-playing uh, convention. I mean, there's board games that go on there as well, but there's also a lot of freeform LARPs and there's the living games as well, though I believe they've now hived off into... Then more IndieCon. Uh, no, no, the, the living games were always a feature of Conception. Uh, until a couple of years ago, um, there, there was lots of living Pathfinder and living D and D there, but they got hived off into a separate con. Do you want to just briefly say what living games are, Scott? Uh, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I'll probably just in I'll a pro- nutshell. Oh, shall I no, say? Yeah, you, you say because I'll probably screw it up because I've never actually played. Well, one. I've never played in one, but <laughs> <laughs> speaking as an authority, uh, they're um, they're games in a set world which go on from convention to convention so you might have your character and you might play at one convention then you can take that same player character and play at a subsequent convention with a different gm but in the same gaming world yeah and i believe that you know for the D type games they say what level characters this adventure is for so you basically go along you gain experience points for your character and you level up through the the sort of loose network of games that's going on yeah uh, but like I say, I believe those th- th- those ended up being hived off into another campaign. This also takes place at Naish, and I can't remember for the life of me what it's called. If we remember, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but we don't play living games, so we don't pay any attention. Oh, uh, not anymore. So that was Conception, and next we have Concrete Cow. 
Well, now to move on to the most important convention that we're going to talk about, which is, of course, the one, the only, Concrete Cow. Hooray! In in two parts! (laughs) Concrete Cow, well, the reason it's dear to all of our hearts is it's our local convention. Uh, More than that, it's organised by our friend, Neil Smith, uh, who was one of the founders of the Milton Keynes Role Playing Club, and took that same organisation and enthusiasm and started a one-day convention. Uh, Concrete Cow takes place in March and September at the old bathhouse in Wolverton uh, in North Milton Keynes. Uh, And and it's a really informal affair. Um, To to give you some idea of what it's like, um, at a different convention, uh, which we'll be talking about later, Continuum, uh, they have uh, seminars there. And one of the seminars that uh, was held a few years back was about how to organise a convention. And they had uh, a a number of convention organisers from the bigger conventions along, and they invited Neil uh, to be on the panel. And so... You know, they, they, the, the other convention organisers were talking about, you know, uh, how they organised the seminars and, you know, brought in people to do the planning and coordinated with the catering staff and uh, had all these ongoing committees to iron out all the details and the pre-booking and stuff like that. And it got round to Neil. And they say, yeah, the, the, the guy holding the seminar said to Neil, well, and what do you do? And he said, well, I'll book the venue. <laughs> that, that, that's it. Um, and, and that really is kind of what makes concrete cow concrete cow yeah but neil does something else yes he promotes the convention exactly which it seems like many convention uh, organizers fail to remember that that's an important aspect of the job and buys tea and coffee as well which he puts in the kitchen yes <laughs> that's the important bit but, but yeah i mean there, there is there is a bit more to it than that and you know he was obviously being slightly facetious when he said that One really cool thing Neil did was that he actually wrote up his technique for running the convention and wrote a how-to guide for people who wanted to run uh, one-day conventions. And, you know, this isn't UK-specific stuff. So if you're interested in organising a small local convention, then, you know, this document is invaluable stuff. I didn't know that. Okay. Mm. Yeah, cool. Uh, so yeah, it, what what the convention really does is it just provides a space for you know between we we tend to get fifty and fifty to sixty people there normally mm. though we have had as many as ninety which was stretching the boundaries of the venue somewhat um, in this uh, community centre in in Wolverton uh, the day is divided into three gaming slots uh, people come along put down sign up sheets people sign up for the games. Uh, when it comes to the appointed hour for each slot, we just hive off, find tables, play the games. Uh, around lunchtime, we've got an arrangement uh, with a local Indian restaurant, whereby you know, if anyone wants to go along for a buffet, they can do so for the price of a tenner. Um, and yeah, we basically play games till we drop. At the end of it, we clean up, lock up, go home, and that's it. Uh, because it's a one-day convention, there's no accommodation. It's pretty cheap. It costs £5 to get in. Um, right near a train station as well, so yeah. uh, transport is pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah th- there's there's no pre-booking either for the convention or for any of the games. Now, th- this is one thing that th- there's actually a bit of discussion about online at the moment, which is 
Particularly as the con's grown a bit, uh, apparently there's some concern that the sign-up sheets, or you know, the process of signing up for the sign-up sheets, becomes a bit of a scrum. We had some complaints to begin with because you know, they, they didn't all go out at the same time, which meant that um, you know, sometimes people would turn up and uh, there wouldn't be any games they wanted to play. That sounds like my first experience with Conception, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, this is an inherent problem not just with Concrete Cow, but any any convention that uses sign-up sheet formats. Yes. Like Dragon Meat, for instance, at the end of the year, exactly the same problem. That is a, that is a stampede to get to the sign-up sheets. Yeah, so, I mean, what, what we did at Concrete Cow was we decided, you know, which actually made the stampede side of things worse, which was we decided that they were all going to go out at the same time. Um, so yeah, what that meant is that uh, you know, if 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 you're if you're a large man, you had an advantage, and you could just shove everyone else out of the way and get to the sign-up sheets, and um, and so you know, some some of our more slightly built uh, attendees have requested that we find another way of doing this that does not put them at bodily harm. Uh, so uh, yes, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll find some way around that. Yeah, putting them all out at once not a good idea. No, we we've learned this. So as well as the gaming, we've got a couple of traders who go there. Uh, we've got leisure games who tend to be their most concrete cows. Uh, with a, obviously they don't bring the full selection they do to larger conventions, but they bring a, a pretty damn good range. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you drop them a line beforehand, if you're going there, they'll they'll bring stuff along on request for you. But yeah, we do have all rolled up coming along. Uh, now, if if you haven't seen all rolled up, uh, it's a uh, a British cottage industry, I guess you'd call it. I don't uh, think so. uh, Paul and Phil uh, Banowski. is that how you pronounce their last name? I, I'm, I'm sorry, I know both Paul and Phil, and I don't think I've ever said their last name out loud. Uh, but yes, let's let's pretend that's how it's pronounced, and apologies if it's not. Um, and yeah, they they produce these handmade uh, sort of combination douse pouches, pencil cases, kind of all in one container type things made of cloth uh, for for gamers, in a variety of attractive designs, and they they do them in different sizes uh, with different logos on them and so on, and they're really cool. A while back, we realised, you know, similar to Conception, that we were making a slight surplus on the money there as well. Um, and so um, we started donating that to charity and building on that. There's now a raffle as well, uh, which raises a bit more money for charity. The charity in question is the Alzheimer's Society. Uh, and, yeah, we tend to raise a few hundred pounds every uh, every convention for it. Hmm. So, yeah, works out well. Yeah, I must admit, normally I'd, I'd end up having to run away for the evening slot, so I'm never um, I'm never there for the raffle. But... Why are you running away, Matt? Uh, normally because it keeps clashing with other games. Yeah, because you've got other games to play, that's yeah. what I thought. <laughs> yeah, I normally run down to... There's only one thing that stops Matt gaming, that's <laughs> other games that he's got to go to. <laughs> uh... Following on from Concrete Cow, we have Compulsion, also from Scott. And now we move north uh, to the only Scottish convention on our list, uh, which is Compulsion. Uh, Compulsion takes place in Edinburgh around Easter time every year uh, at uh, Teviot Hall, uh, which is the student union for uh, Edinburgh University. It's a convention that's improved a lot in recent years. I, I started going there, oh gosh, probably about six or seven years ago, because I've got lots of friends in Edinburgh. 
I mean, to begin with, I, I mostly went because, you know, I, I knew people there and I wanted to catch up with them. Uh, but a few years back, it, uh, it the organisers changed and uh, Phil Harris and Gregor Hutton took over organising it. I don't think they still are, but they, they transformed it and it became a much more slickly run convention, much better organised. The sign-ups were handled better, there were more games on offer, and it just ran a lot more smoothly. Um, so, you know, if you did go in previous years and you thought it was a bit of a shambles, it's not anymore. It's it's one of these conventions that ends up feeling a lot smaller than it actually is, just by dint of the, the venue. Uh, the venue is very compartmentalised, there are lots of small rooms around, and generally, you know, you don't get any feel for how many other people there are there, because you just never see anyone, in, you know, in the same place at the same time. Uh, there, there are award ceremonies and so on at the end, uh, and there's a hall where people go along for the closing ceremony, award ceremony, and so on. And you, you suddenly realise that there are actually hundreds of other people there, even if you've only seen about you know, a dozen at a time before. <laughs> um, it's like the, um, going back to it again, uh, it's like the conception feel if you run off and have games in chalets that you never really get to see a wide variety of people around you unless you're in the main hall. Yeah. yeah. One day I'll make it up to compulsion because it's one. It's one of those conventions that I've got. Oh, I want to go to it. I want to go to it, and then forget that it's on again. <laughs> well, uh, for me, the biggest attraction of compulsion is still the fact that you know th there are a lot of gamers I know in Scotland who never really make it down to the English conventions, or at least not the South Coast ones, uh, because yeah, it's a big hike. It's a day travel, pretty much. Yeah. If if you do make it up to compulsion, you will meet a lot of gamers you just don't see elsewhere, and a lot of really good gamers. It's a shorter convention than Conception. It it really only lasts for two days. Uh, there is a bit of stuff on the Friday evening, but it's mostly on the Saturday and Sunday. There's a, a sort of pub quiz type thing, which uh, varies from year to year, depending on who's organising it. I believe uh, Gregor last year, or yeah, I think it was last year, uh, basically did a, a rip-off of uh, the BBC um, game show Pointless. Uh, we, but with, with questions the, about role playing and yes, so on, yeah, and and of course he called it hit pointless. Ah, oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean the the quizzes I've been along to before have been a lot of fun. And I think it's something like fifteen pounds for the weekend, and it's another well, pretty one cheap then, really. Yeah, it's it's not too bad. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's no accommodation. No. Um, yeah, I mean that's 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 a good point. Yeah, you know, if you're going along, you need to organise your own accommodation. There's nothing organised as part of the convention. Yeah, you know, I, I think on the website they'll give you names of nearby hotels and B and Bs and stuff like that, but you have to organise all that stuff yourself. And it's another one where, if you're GMing games, you do get a discount. Uh, you still have to pay something for the tickets, and I can't remember what it is, and it's not on the website, so... But, I mean, let's, let's say you get a fiver off. That seems about right. Huh. And, and, yeah, if they say it's something different on the day, tell them Scott told you it was a fiver off, and, <laughs> yeah, get ready to fight them. <laughs> Of interest, how many slots do they run? I presume it runs on a slot format. Yeah, it does run on a slot format. I think there are three slots on the Saturday and three slots on the Sunday. Mm -hmm. And it's a mixture of tabletop gaming, uh, wargaming, uh, LARPs. So that was Compulsion, and continuing our tour around UK conventions, we have the Student Nationals. Right, so that was April. Um, the next one... It's a bit odd to try and pin it down in the whereabouts in the calendar it falls because it sometimes it's in March and sometimes it's in April and it just it moves around a bit. 
depending on who wins it the previous year. Um, this one, um, to give its official title, the National Student Role-Playing and War Games Championships. But everyone pretty much refers to it as the Student Nationals or just the Nationals. So when you say who wins it, it's different. It's held by different universities on different years? Yes, that's so, right. Okay. So, Matt, explain to me, how the fuck do you win at role-playing? <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, that's a discussion that's had on pretty much every webpage that I can find regarding every university that enters a, com- uh, that enters a team into this thing. <laughs> so is it, the, is it the team that rolls the most natural 20s? No, um, uh, the way I've looked, so whenever I've gone to this um, event, I, w- I went to the University of Buckingham, who never really looked outside of anything remotely social, um, like gaming. There was never any club for it. There was never really any, any interest within the student body of doing anything like that. So they've never had any representation as the University of Buckingham at, um, at the student nationals. So whenever I've gone to the um, to the competition, I've always been a GM that's running the games and then judging performance of people at the table. Um, because even the GMs have to be attached to a team, I'm <laughs> labelled to which university do you think would be most appropriate? Go on, surprise us. One from New England? Yeah, but I didn't invent it. Someone else has already come up with the Miskatonic <laughs> University team. Oh, really? So, yeah, so I jumped oh. in with that. I jumped in with them. Um, there are basically a group of independents that don't have representation for their own universities and so on, so they all come under the banner of Miskatonic, <laughs> which, which is quite nice because Cthulhu does get its own representation as well. The the role playing sections in the part of the overall championship take um, take the form of each category that you can jump in on, like fantasy, horror, random, um, historical. Random, true random is a is its own category. It's basically as it says on the tin. It's, it could be whatever you well, you don't know what you're getting. getting it's just potluck. Um, but then other categories like D and D, World of Darkness, and Call of Cthulhu get their own categories. So mm. they, you know exactly what you're signing up for when you go into something like that. The way that you can judge someone winning at a role playing game, the way I do it when I'm um, when I'm um, taking notes of people throughout the game. The people that I think add the most to the game and make it more fun for themselves and everyone else around them. Basically, the people that don't hog the spotlight, that don't uh, monopolise the GM time, um, that don't just sit there and say five words like one person did in one game I ran. <sighs> Generally, just how well you role-played, how well you fit to your character's goals, um, the, way they're, um, the way they're written up on the sheet, and basically who gets on best with the GM. And then... Damn, so that's how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we'd been doing something wrong yeah. all these years, Scott. No wonder we haven't been winning these damn competitions. <laughs> you see, if I was judging this, I'd just give it to the first player I could make cry. I, I've had a few people scream at the table. I was quite pleased with that. What about, what about the one that shouts the most? Surely they oh, must yeah. get a special award. Oh, yeah, they're probably what, what, the ones that objected first. You mean the Dorwood Award? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mammals! The, the bronze Dorwood. <laughs> But yeah, that, that's essentially how, how most of the GMs get together and decide who wins at the table. Otherwise, the other CCG tournaments, um, war games tournaments, they're really easy to determine who wins. Um, they total everything up at the end of the um, the end of the convention, which itself runs over two days. It's primarily Saturday and Sunday, where the GMs will run the same scenario twice on the RPG front, but for two different groups. Normally two groups out of three, and then you have the team of GMs get together and decide amongst them who they haven't seen, confer with the other GMs to get an overall consensus, and put those um, results into the award ceremony at the end. So does that mean that the conventions tend to have to be written to be fairly... I, I, I don't want to say railroaded, 
but at least linear and predictable so that you know that they're going to run for about the right length of time and you can compare the way they go for different groups and stuff. Some GMs might do that. I don't. Um, okay. In fact, I, for the reverse, I take along um, scenarios that are the most open that I possibly can get so that two groups don't end up doing the same thing. That's cool. Okay. So that I, I want to see what groups do what in particular situations and then which one's the most inventive, that's the one that I will lean towards. Nice. It's like... Um, the first one, uh, the first one I've done was a Delta Green game. I think uh, Paul's played it. The set in the British Library. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, that's that's a pretty open one. That it's there's a situation you're moving around the location. What do you do with the NPCs? What do you do with the individual instances that occur in there? And then seeing what happens. Um, that game when I ran it at the Nationals lasted eight hours. Oh wow. So that the, these are particularly long games as well. You normally take so a break halfway through for is dinner. It, is and it so a game per day then, or a game? Yeah, one game per day because those oh, games wow. can be normally on the Sunday. It's a bit shorter. It's about four to six hours. Sure, yeah. that's still a hell of a game. Yeah, but these are long sessions. On the more nuts and bolts side of the event, its entry fee is £25 per person. Um, proceeds after costs go to charity, which range normally between £2,000 and £5,000. So they make a fair amount of money from this because it is very well attended. It is a very young crowd, which I find very... Um, well, somewhat even at my relatively youthful age, um, I still find relatively distant because I was never a student, uh, party animal. Never a young person. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was Damn off, you pesky kids! I, I, I was off a credit card when I was 12 because people thought I was older than what I was. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, it is a very very student atmosphere, very um, very youthful crowd, so that's something to bear in mind for a lot of... For, comparison to other conventions out there so, it is very different in tone so do you have to be a student to go along as a player no you don't um as long as you're you can be either a true independent so you don't have any representation on any team it's just then you're not your results really aren't going to count towards anything at the end of the uh, convention when it determines who what university wins gotcha. the event but you can still go along and have fun that's not going to stop you from doing anything what sort of number of people would you say attend the student nationals? Hundreds, hundreds and hundreds. Um, the the last one we went to was in Leicester. Um, ironically, De Montford actually won it when they they won on their home turf, as it as it turned out. It's actually um, they use the same place that Continuum use. Mm. Um, they took over, but the other side of the road, they took over the um, from the other side of the John Foster Hall, rather than the same locations that we'd be aware of for when oh, we go okay. to Continuum, because they had a whole new block that they built and they wanted to use it. Um, there's a very large hall in there that I think you could easily fit five, five, six hundred people in. That was oh. packed and out into the hall um, outside that. There were a lot of people there. That's big numbers for a UK con. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's very much unlike any other event that's out there. It is primarily geared as a competition, so there is a lot of that atmosphere that runs alongside the whole thing. Accommodation is usually... Um, is is available on site, like with conti um, Continuum, that you've got the facility to actually stay on site, which is what I did. Following on from the Student Nationals, we now have Conquest. Conquest takes place in, well, in previous years, I should say, Conquest has taken place in April in Derby. Recently, in 2013, it took place on May the 4th. Uh, and had the slogan of May the 4th be with you. Oh. A one-day convention costing about 7 to £10 pounds for entry fee uh, with a mix of LARP, tabletop, cards, stalls, etc. It's now scaling up next year with uh, the plan of taking the um, slot which another convention takes, the other convention being Continuum, 
which runs every two years, with Conquest hoping to run on alternate years. So uh, continuing run this year in 2014, Conquest is planning to run at the same venue next year in 2015 and then run every two years. I went to the first Conquest in 2010 and I have to say I've not been since then. That makes it two was, of us. It was a one-day convention. It was reasonably well attended. It was maybe two to 300 people. Uh, there was about 50 GMs. And as a GM, they had the perk that if you ran a game, you got in for free. Yeah, there was quite a large hall with plenty of stalls and the gaming was spread out over the conference rooms. Uh, there were various kind of rooms, some with sofas um, and, and some bigger kind of convention rooms and, and so on. And the corridor that I got relegated to. Yep, you did, Matt, yeah. <laughs> really, I think maybe we should look forward to um, Conquest next year in 2015. Apparently it's going to be five days from Thursday through to Monday. But I think actual gaming starts on the Friday morning. So you've got Friday, Saturday, Sunday actual gaming. I couldn't find out too much because when I followed the link, the website isn't working. And apparently from forum posts that I could find, hasn't been working for quite a long time. So whether this convention is going to happen or not, who knows? And following Conquest, we move into about the middle of the year, looking at the UK Games Expo. So now we move on to the UK's biggest convention, or at least biggest one these days, and that's the UK Games Expo. This is an annual convention that takes place in Birmingham. Uh, they changed venue a couple of years ago. It now takes place at the Hilton Metropole, which is near Birmingham International Train Station. It's a big venue, and it's a big hotel, there's lots of space inside. It's grown so much that even in this new large venue it's packed it out. Uh, there have got to be at least 6,000 people going. I think, yeah, I, I heard maybe in from figure of 7,000 people. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and that makes it about 10 times the size of any other UK convention. Like I say, it's, it's big. And one of the things that makes it big is the fact that it's not just an RPG convention. Uh, it's, in fact, uh, yeah, RPG started out as something of a sideline there. Uh, this is very much a sales convention. Uh, not, not industry sales, but this is people going along to try out new games, board games, card games, role-playing games. There are lots and lots of traders there, uh, huge trade halls, lots of demo games going on, uh, and lots of gaming slots. A, min- a miniature Gen Con, essentially. Pretty much, yeah. Um, quite a lot of stuff aimed at parents and children. Exactly. I mean, yeah. the, the, you, you can tell the difference in focus by the fact that they sell family tickets. So you can buy a ticket for you know, a nuclear family, uh, you know, under one ticket, you know, two parents, two children. Uh, I still hear that expression and keep thinking I'm going to hear a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's an dated expression now. Who the hell says that? nuclear family, but Scott? Apparently Scott, yeah. Yeah, what's wrong with this man? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said we were overrunning. Let, let's not. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we couldn't. We couldn't miss that. I just saw Matt's face. And he was like, "What?" In recent years, the the gaming side of things, or at least the role playing game side of things, has expanded a bit. With the new venue, there's lots of side rooms and um, you know function rooms that can be used for uh, for gaming. And so there's there's quite a large role playing track. I, I I actually stopped going to the 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 games expo for a number of years. Simply because it wasn't much of a gaming convention. 
But yeah, having gone along last year um, or this year, uh, I, I was impressed enough that yeah, it's going to become a fixture again. And what about accommodation there? They've got the the Hilton, obviously, for accommodation. And yeah, the, being near the NEC and the airport and so on, there are you know the area is lousy with hotels, uh, so there's plenty of accommodation to be had nearby. Of course, you know if you live in Milton Keynes or you know anywhere like that or you know around this area, uh, it's very well served by by rail links. It's also, if I'm right, if it's the one that I went to, the Hilton is on the grounds of the NEC. It is, so it's, it's five minutes walk from the train station, and that five minutes is all covered. And if you don't want to go by train, there is plenty of car parking space around there. Yeah. I mean, huge, vast car parks that you have there. If there's a downside to this convention, it's, you know, the one I hinted at before, which is that, you know, certainly as of this year, it is straining with the capacity of what the venue can cope with. And this meant that, you know, the trade hall, you know, lots and lots of stuff to buy, but, you know, you were cheap by jowl with every other punter who was there. But it also means that, you know, if you're looking for things like food and drink and there are restaurants and bars on site, um, you're, again, best off probably going outside the venue because it's so busy that getting served there takes about half an hour. And moving not far away from Birmingham, from the UK Games Expo, we're moving to Leicester for Continuum. In Leicester in July, we have Continuum. Uh, This is a pretty popular convention with uh, about... 300 attendees? Two to 300, I'd say. Something like that. Uh, It runs from Friday lunchtime to Monday morning, with most um, attendees staying for the whole thing. Price-wise, day tickets £15, weekend pass 35 Most people are paying about 160 which covers three nights accommodation and entry to the convention. Uh, That also includes breakfast at the canteen. This convention has been running um, for about 10 years now. Um, previously, it was called Convulsions. It's a used to be a very Chaosium-oriented uh, convention running Cthulhu and Glaranthan games. Uh, now it's much more diversified. There's still quite a lot of Cthulhu in various uh, incarnations that takes place there. I think there was about three Glorantha games this year. Yeah, that, and that a was whole host. Yeah. A whole host of, of, of other stuff. Yeah, because it used to be, you know, when I first started going, that I'd say uh, at least a third of the games there were Gloranthan games of some description. There were Gloranthan panels and sing-alongs and seminars. And, and yeah, it's, it, it really seems to have dwindled. Yeah, I mean, time was that it would... Um, yeah, well, certainly they still have seminars and a well-organised raft of role-playing games and some LARPs as well. Yeah. Or free forms. They used to have guests coming to the convention also. They used to have Sandy Peterson, uh, author of Call of Cthulhu. They used to have Greg Stafford of Grantha and Charlie Crank of Chaosium, among many others. They've kind of gone off having guests at the convention. The accommodation is, is pretty good. It, it's in modern halls of residence for students. So if you book a room, you get an individual room with your own ensuite bathroom and access, well, shared access with everybody to the uh, the student canteen and the student bar, which is all on site. Right, and there, there are kitchens as well within the, the shared accommodation, but I don't think anyone ever goes there. I've never something. used oh, I, it. I did. No. Have you used it? You did? It? Yeah, oh, seriously, right. this, this year I went and used them. Oh, okay. they, they've got some pretty good, they've got some pretty good amenities in there. Huh. Yeah, right. so if you want fridges, it to self-cater, yeah, you, you can do. You're kind of yeah. good. Right. The, one word to the wise, though, if you go there, take a fan or a screwdriver. Yeah. 
Um, the, fir the first one being that just it will give you airflow. The second, you can open the windows. Oh, or alternatively, stab yourself repeatedly <laughs> and get some internal ventilation going. That too. It's, it's, it's one of those great things, screwdrivers are multi-purpose. I found it all right, actually. It's like a furnace, for God's sake. The place traps heat so much. It, it, it depends which side of the building you're on, but one side does trap heat, and yeah, it is... is like uh, green oh, I'm kind of like a lizard, so I like to get into a nice warm place and that gets my blood flowing. Oh, you'll, you'll love it I then. I thought it was just because yeah. you ate crickets. <laughs> Sit on a warm rock. So it's been a long time in, in the making, but uh, Call of Cthulhu, as we said, has just the seventh edition has just been launched. And it was in 2008 that uh, when Charlie Crank was a guest at the convention, he'd just given a talk about the state of Chaosium. It was a regular kind of thing that Charlie would do, uh, was to give a seminar about Chaosium and its upcoming products and so on. And it was after that very convention that Mike Mason and myself cornered him and said, uh, can we have a chat with you for a few minutes? So uh, if anybody's out there thinking about doing the eighth edition of Call of Cthulhu, when Charlie's at a convention, just after he's done his chat, that's when you want to corner him and say, hey, Charlie, we've got this idea, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and be prepared for it to take a while, because that was... You know, that was uh, eight years ago. Uh, six years ago, in fact. Mm -hmm. It seems longer. Well, oh, you know, we, you, seems yeah, a lot longer we, we, to me. We, we'd been talking about it for some time before that. Yeah, because so. we, we had a kind of rough rule set already that, that, that you and I and Robin had sort of been developing yeah. um, for... A, couple of years then so uh, yeah I guess it had been longer than that yeah. and previous to that uh, at the first continuum uh, was where I ran Gatsby in the Great Race for the first time with the Cult of Keepers um, again with Charlie Crank as one of the players and that was mm. a lot of fun and also yourself I think yeah. Scott yeah. yeah yeah Scott was there yes. as well we talked a little bit about organizing um, the game scheduling and the sign-up sheets one of the things that uh, Kiri Birch, who organises the games at Continuum, one of the things that he's developed, he puts up the game sign-up sheets and then halfway through slot one, he puts up the sign-up sheets for slot two. And then halfway through slot two, he puts up the um, sign-up sheets for slot three. So uh, if you're in a game, then you're in a game. If you're not in a game, you're free to go and sign up when the sheets go up. So... That's that. I think that's worked really well mm. um, in keeping everything kind of rolling on. The other thing that he's done this time at Continuum was everybody who pledged a game in advance of the convention got the option to do a pre-sign up to a game of their choice. So he he sent out the entire game schedule to prospective GM, and um, you know you get a big spreadsheet and you can choose. Uh, to put your name down before anybody else. Well, also, far more importantly than that, you got a free drink token for every game you ran. Oh, yeah. 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 If you went to see him with your sign-up sheet, there's your beer token. <laughs> or if you're like me and you're running in every slot and advisor just comes up to you ahead of time with a big wad of beer tokens, hands them to you and wanders off. Wow, he obviously trusts you, Scott. <laughs> and continuing our tour of UK conventions, we're moving to Furnace. Well, moving on to October, uh, we come to Furnace in Sheffield. Which doesn't have a con in the name. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of the few. Uh, so Furnace was actually voted the UK Convention of the Year uh, a few years ago on the uh, UK Role Players Forum. Uh, there was a mass vote and, uh, yeah, Furnace came out on top. Uh, which is, I mean, I, and I can understand why, because it's a lovely convention. It's not a big one, though. It takes place in uh, the Garrison Hotel in Sheffield. 
which is a converted jail. Uh, and this makes it quite an atmospheric venue. Uh, the a lot of the gaming takes place in uh, old converted jail cells. Uh, th- there's a bar area upstairs where there are these these small cells built into the walls, and they've got tables in them, and uh, you you basically just sit in those, and it's great. Uh, the acoustics are good there. Uh, yeah, ob- obviously, it you know being jail cells, it shuts out a lot of the surrounding noise. The convention itself, like I say, isn't large. There, um, I think it was slightly larger this year. It's limited by the size of the venue, and I think they capped it in previous years at 50 people. Uh, so again, it's another one that tends to fill up fairly quickly. Uh, there's on-site accommodation because, well, it's a hotel. There tend to be much fewer rooms available than there are attendees at the con. So the accommodation there sells out before tickets to the con does, which means that you know, you, you can, you've got the choice of, of staying at local B&Bs. There are a few in the area. There's a couple of nearby hotels. I, I've stayed at the Travel Lodge just down the road, which is, well, it's a travel lodge. <laughs> it's a bed and a room. Yeah. Like I say, it's it's a lovely convention. It's another one that that rewards GMs a bit. In this case, if you're running games, you get pre-book games as well, uh, which yeah, it, it can be quite useful because it's another one where there's a bit of a scrum for the sign-up sheets. So you know, if you do like I do and go along and offer to run games for three out of the five slots, that means you know, I can pre-book the other two and I never have to go near a sign-up sheet. Elaine, who does the uh, the game booking there, uh, or the, the, she's the game czar there, as she, she calls herself, is very, very organised about it, you know, maintains a lot of order when it comes to the sign-up sheets. Seems to be actually very good at getting GMs, you know, particularly you know, people like me who are shit at thinking about what they're doing ahead of time, to actually get organised well in advance of the con, which goes against every fibre of my being. <laughs> It's, it's a small, intimate, friendly con. There's food and drink available on site. There's a supermarket across the road. It's a nice venue. Um, and again, because it's it, it's in Sheffield, you get a slightly different crowd up there than you do at the South Coast cons. Uh, and yeah, they're not a huge distance apart, but it's a big enough distance that you see people there that you'll never see further south. It, again, it's one of these that I've wanted to go to, but again, I always forget when it is. Um, I am slight, from from my perspective as someone who's never been to it, I am somewhat put off by the fact it is quite small and hard to get into. Well, I, I say it's hard to get into. I mean, it always fills up, but it, it's not like uh, Conception where, you know, it, it books up within seconds. It normally takes about a month to two months to fill oh, okay, up. OK, so that's that's not quick then. So no. you, you've got a chance to get Oh, in. yeah, yeah. Right, that's, well, that's okay then. Yeah, you, you have to be a bit sharper than that if you actually want to stay on side. Yeah, that's the but, kind of thing I'd be thinking yeah. of. But, but, I mean, even if you, you know, even if you fail on that, like, say, there are B&Bs across the road within walking distance, so it's... Hmm. Or staggering distance is the thing I'm looking at. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I should say about conventions in my own experience, I've always enjoyed being on site. Yes. In conventions which go on for several days, it's kind of nice being immersed in the convention... And then, you know, when it closes and you leave, it's like you're kind of going into the back into the real world. It's nice having that continuity of being there from the start to the finish. Mm-hmm. I, and the other aspect of that is, you know, I mean, the, the, if you're um, an American convention goer, there seems to be something of a cultural difference, you know, certainly with some American conventions I've heard about and UK conventions, which is British conventions do, on the whole, tend to be very boozy affairs. Oh, yes. I've certainly heard of at least some American conventions which are completely dry, no alcohol on site. 
Wow. Paul's looking stunned and I'm just going, <laughs> shaking my head, going, I'm never going there. <laughs> Uh, which I think tends to be a function of the venue rather than anything else that you know, is just not practical for there. Camp Nerdly, for example, I seem to remember, is, is completely dry. Oh. Whereas, you know, here, you know, drinking is an essential part of our uh, convention culture. And Furnace, for example, you know, it, it starts on the Friday, though there isn't a game slot until the Saturday morning. People just, you know, roll up on, on the Friday afternoon, Friday evening, and head straight to the bar, sit there drinking until they get kicked out and... Uh, you know, it's a good way of, of getting to know other gamers, bonding with them and, you know, spending a few hours talking shit. Mm. So that was Furnace, and next on our overview of UK conventions, we have WinterCon. As we've reached October and getting back into the lovely weather of the year, um, we're heading much further south again down to Eastbourne for a convention that's new this year, and again, pretty different to the rest of the UK convention, at least on the gaming front convention scene, WinterCon, which is held in the Winter Palace in Eastbourne, and at this time of year, hence the name, winter on various levels. Um, it's a convention that runs from Friday through to Sunday, um, costs about £10 on the door, um, you don't have to pre-book, you can just turn up and head straight in. It's a really nice venue, um, it's got a lot of character to it, it's, again it's very different to um, a lot of the other convention venues that you'd find in the UK, whether it be like the modern amenities you've got at Continuum, whether you've got the Holiday Home at Conception IndyCon, um, the hotel for the Games Expo, etc. But yeah, the, the place has, it seems to be a lot more nostalgic. It's, um, I believe the plaque that we read said the place had opened in the 30s. And yeah, it's pretty much kept a lot of the character from uh, from that time, not to say it's run down and old, but it's, it's definitely been kept up to scratch, but a lot of the original furnishings and such are still in place. So, yeah, it's got, it's got a good degree of nostalgia there. This is not primarily a gaming convention. In fact, this is it's marketed as sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and alternative genre convention, of which gaming is part of kind of the alternative convention part of that. What's an alternative genre? Pretty much catch-all for anything weird. Okay. Yeah, it was... But 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 what's it an alternative to? As opposed to mainstream genre. <laughs> yeah. Pop and that kind of well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I shall meditate upon this like a Zen koan. Yeah. <laughs> the um, accommodation isn't on site. I said it's an, it's an old theatre that it's in, so there's nowhere to stay immediately on the actual venue. Um, there are plenty of B&Bs and such nearby, and it's one block away from the uh, from the seafront, which, yeah, the uh, the weather when we went down there reminded us that it was right by the sea. Um, it was raining very, very heavily. But, but what you're saying is it's nice and convenient for deep ones. It's one block away from the sea. You can just go out to the sea, sleep at night. Oh, you, you, you would have no problem uh, um, casting a track fish three, uh, three streets inland. <laughs> it would be really, really easy. Well, that, that was just pure pure dumb luck in terms of the weather. Um, I ended up getting soaked as my umbrella turned inside out in almost like hurricane-force winds that were rushing down the streets. But no, otherwise, the, the actual area itself is lovely. If it was The weather was the one thing laid it down, but that's, out, say, outside of the convention's uh, influence, unless they really have got a sorcerer that can cast alter weather. <laughs> so what do you do at the convention itself? You've got celebrities there you can talk to and have um, signings, have autographs done. There's cosplaying, there's um, the trade hall that they have there, there's various demo games which are run for things like card games and other um, other games that have been sold within the trade area itself. 
you've got the gaming area where they have video games. They had, I think, Doctor Who props that were there. Um, and then within that area, that's where you've got the RPGs. This, say, primarily is not really a gaming convention. The, the games that are down there are mainly demo games um, run for a maximum of an hour. Huh. So these are very much little snapshots because there is so much so varied and individual different things to do. Um, one of the things that was put up on the website is that they don't want anyone to... Partic- um, they realise that a four-hour game is not going to really work there. I think they ran one four-hour game a day um, just for those that did want to do something like a normal-length game or normal-length convention game. But for anyone else that hadn't come across RPGs, they were actively... Um, people were saying, right, do you want to come along and try something? And it was a lot of people that hadn't played RPGs before. I actually really like that idea. Yeah, yeah. By, by making them so brief and accessible and putting them in a place where you know, you've got people who are geeky by nature but not necessarily you know, with exposure to tabletop role-playing, that's actually a brilliant way of doing it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was talking with um, John Dodd who'd organised the RPGs in that front afterwards and a few of the others who were doing the demos there, like, I think Leo was doing some of them as well, and they were commenting that they had seen people that had basically walked up and said, well, we haven't played an RPG before, what's this? And they'd come back not only for repeat sessions of the same game, but for other or the same game, not the same scenario, but then also come back and tried other tables that were offering other games. So well, That's they really were, cool, because yeah. that's a very unusual yeah. thing to be able to introduce people to role-playing games. So, so were Cubicle 7 down there showing off things like the Doctor Who game? Or? Nope, there, there was nothing by way of at least RPG publishers down there with trade stands. There was one stand that was um, that had a lot of stuff for Modiphius on there, but I don't think they were Modiphius themselves, because I didn't recognise any of the people behind the stand. I just think that they happened to have a lot of Acton Cthulhu on the, on the table. But yeah, it's it's a convention that touches a lot of bases. Um, it is very different in that sense because I can't. There's no other convention in the UK that I can think of that purely runs, well, with the exception of three games, purely one-hour demos across mm. three days. I might have to go down there next year and run a whole batch because I really like the idea of trying to draw new people into the hobby. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't massively attended, but then that's one thing that we found that for for the very first convention, when you say not, not that well attended, I mean like a couple of hundred people, or well, it had it definitely in three figures. Definitely in three figures. Yeah, <laughs> one of one of the things that um, I found quite amusing on the way back was that I spent a fair amount of uh, must be easily five or ten minutes talking with Dave Prowse, um, who played physical body for Darth Vader. Oh, more importantly, he was the Green Cross Code Man. <laughs> you were getting directions yeah. so, from the Green Cross yeah. Code. No, no, yeah. no. I, no, I, I was... so, so Darth Vader is a, yeah, I mean, the Green Cross Code man. That's the important bit. It, I, who gives a fuck about Star Wars? <laughs> Everyone else apart from you. <laughs> that, that's what all, all the photos were. Darth Vader that you had to sign and such. But yeah, yeah you've, you've even got you've even got the uh, the sound effect going. There. <laughs> <laughs> Scott will be there with his Green Cross Code man photograph. Yeah, but no, I was, I was giving. Um, he mentioned he was going back because um, he lives in South London. Um, I, was just, I just mentioned off, as an offhand comment that, yeah, if you're going back, you, don't, you want to avoid the M23. And we just got talking from, from there onwards. <laughs> Following on from Wintercon, we now move along the coast to Indicon. And in November, we returned to Hoburn Naish in uh, Christchurch in Dorset on the south coast of England for Indicon. This is the same venue that was used for the one back in end of January, start of February. Uh, that was Conception. Uh, so it's in the, those same 
lodges on the holiday campsite. It runs slightly shorter than Conception, so from around Thursday lunchtime through to Monday morning with quite a few people just leaving on the Sunday evening. The costs remain pretty much the same, around £100 a head if you're going for a lodge. Yeah, it's not quite as well attended as Conception, but... It's a very different type of game that's run. Yeah, I mean, you don't get the LARPers and you don't get any living games there. So it doesn't tend to sell out either? It can eventually sell out, but it's certainly, you know, it's, it's certainly not, not that, the rush. It's not that instant yeah. sell-out no. deal. Yeah. I thought they did have the... Because I thought the Pathfinder Society was there for a lot of IndyCon. That's why, yeah, it, was, that's why it was quite a last year, but this year they were back. Oh, I didn't notice them. Yeah, they, okay. they were they were on the main. They weren't. They didn't have their own sign up board like Conception does. They were all intermingled with all of the slots. All right, I, I have my Pathfinder blinders on. Yeah, they're definitely Pathfinder. Something has to be said about the name IndieCon. I mean, it very much sounds like it's a convention filled with indie published games. There is quite a, a degree of that, but there's also quite a lot. Of, well, we just mentioned Pathfinder. There's Pathfinder. There's Call yeah. of Cthulhu. There's there's a whole range of games. As with most of these conventions we've talked about, they don't tend to specialise in any particular kind of games. They, they tend to be quite broad in there. It just depends who turns up and what they want to run. But the reason IndieCon is called IndieCon is that Chris Loise, who, uh, who publishes Crimson Empire, uh, is an independent games publisher uh, himself. He's also the organiser of IndieCon, and he basically, I, I believe, wanted to get other... Uh, British independent game publishers in there to use this as a promotional thing. And, and certainly, you know, the Trade Hall in previous years has had a lot of, you know, independent publishers there. Yeah, another feature um, that goes on there is uh, the room parties. So um, <laughs> often late at night Jesus. after the games have kind of wound down, you'll find gamers wandering from hut to hut looking for the, the, the lodge with the party. Mm -hmm. And uh, going by and wondering how who, who has got that many bottles of booze in their, uh, in their cabin. <laughs> and continuing our overview of UK conventions, we move on from IndyCon to Dragon Meat. We head to the capital for the last event of the year. The largest event in London that I'm aware of, um, held on one day, normally the first Saturday in December, the one and only Dragon Meat, which is this year up into its 15th year previously in Kensington Town Hall, but now is moving to the Ibis Hotel Earl's Court and Eilek Convention Centre. I'm, I'm glad you told me that. For some reason, I thought it was Kensington Olympia. You've just saved me from going to the wrong place. Damn it! <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it's uh, the, the way to get to it is also a bit easier this time. This is a very, very large board games, RPGs, industry panels, art show, cosplay, tournament... Cards and war games, etc. Yeah, there's plenty of cosplay that happens there. Really? Yeah. They also have a charity auction, rather impressive trade hall that caters for both all the new games, because you have a lot of the big publishers in the UK will arrive there. And also, I believe they're called, or at least they were called at one point, House of Trades, which are probably one yes. of the largest second hand um, RPG and card uh, traders that you'll find in the UK. I've spent Many, many, many hundreds of pounds trying to fill holes in my collection by going to their going to their stands. Yeah, they they're not cheap, but they are a good source of stuff that you just never see otherwise. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's a very, very impressive trade hall. Um, yeah, and and it's not just role playing games, and there tend to be people demoing new card games and board games. Uh, there are stores that just sell dice. Um, Chesters turn up there. Yeah, and, and yeah, I see seminars them. as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, there's there's no on-site accommodation normally because say, it was previously held in Kensington Town Hall, 
Um, but now there is on-site accommodation at the cost of £120 per night. But huh. given, given it's in London, that's a pretty damn good rate. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, door entry, which you can pay on the day, is £10 a head. I believe if you sign up earlier, it's £8. But I never, I never sign up because I always get in, uh, get in free as a GM. Uh, one of the major perks, in fact, the, the biggest perk available for this convention for me is that when I've gone down there, I've only ever run games. GMs get in an hour early to set up before the public run in, and it is, they run in, it is a stampede, um, they go straight for the sign-up sheets. Yeah. But that is now very different this year in that you can pre-book games. Yeah, I have to say, it's a convention that I often just turn up at as a punter, often don't play a game, I just turn up, meet friends, have a chat, go to a cafe and have a look around the stalls, maybe go to a seminar... Yeah, and go the, out for a meal in the evening. Yeah, this year is is going to be the first time for, for years that I'll go down there and not play or run a game, just because I actually want to do that for a change and go to the seminars and and just schmooze. It's not as well attended as something like UK Games Expo. I think last year there were about seven hundred people there, mm-hmm. but yeah, still that that probably makes it the second biggest UK con. Yeah, and it it suffers to an, at least suffered in past tense, um, similar to what the UK Games Expo has that. It's a lot of people in the old venue. That's why I believe they moved to the new one, because, frankly, Kensington Town Hall, nice place, well-situated, not enough room for that number of people going through it. That was Dragon Me, and finishing off our list of UK conventions is the London Indie Games Meetup. So last... We've got something that doesn't quite fit into the same format as all the others because it's it's kind of somewhere on the cusp of being a convention and a club. And that's the London Indie Games Meetup. Uh, it takes place once every month. I think at the moment it's the third Saturday in the month. The idea of it is it takes place in a pub near London Bridge Station, the St Christopher's Inn. People get there about noon. It's all very casual. There's no entrance fee. Go along. Uh, people pitch the games that they want to run. Just sign up on a whiteboard uh, to say which games you're playing. There are two game slots, one of which starts, I think, about 12.30, one of which starts about 5.00. There's time to get food and drinks in between because it's in a pub. You know, obviously you've got easy access to booze. The food on site is pretty good, but when it comes to the break, what a lot of people tend to do is go across to Borough Market, which is just across the road, which is a big food market. There's lots of freshly cooked food on site, a huge range of stuff, and it's delicious and relatively cheap. As the name indicates, and it indicates more accurately than it does with IndieCon, the, the focus of this is indie games, and it's an interesting crowd that goes there. There are a lot of people who you'll find at other conventions, but... The core of this is, well, people who are enthusiastic about uh, independently published and designed games, in a lot of cases, are people who are designing their own games. What you tend to find is it's sort of a combination between people who want to try out the new hotness, whatever that is, and people who are developing something themselves and want to test it out. If you go along there with an open mind, you will get to play all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff that, you know, in a lot of cases... We'll probably never see print or you know, we'll turn up in a PDF on a, on a website somewhere. It tends to be interesting stuff and it's certainly a good way of finding out you know, what's new and interesting in gaming. There tend to be you know, anywhere between about 15 to 30 people who go and it varies from session to session. There's probably slightly more people than the, uh, the venue can comfortably cope with, but you know, people tend to hive off and go up into the bar upstairs as well, which, which helps. So there's uh, just like three or four games going on? Yeah, uh, generally yeah, four, 
maybe five. Do they have sign-up sheets or no, it, well, that's like, formal? Yeah, it, it's, yeah that, that's right. Uh, when I was there uh, this, this Saturday just gone, basically, you know, uh, you put your hand up once the game was pitched if you wanted to play that particular game and one of the organisers wrote the names down on a whiteboard. One of the interesting things about the meetup is that yeah, it, it is a slightly different mix of people than you find at most role-playing conventions. I, I think it tends to skew a bit younger. I think you you tend to get more inexperienced gamers. I mean, certainly I've played there a number of times with people who'd never played any kind of role-playing game before, and this was their first ever role-playing session. That's happened to me three or four times there. It tends to be much more balanced in genders than most cons. I, you know, I, it's, the conventions in the UK particularly have changed a lot in recent years, and they tend to be a bit less male-dominated than they were. But it strikes me very much at the, the Indie Games meetup that it's, I mean, it's, it's still not quite on a parity, but you know, it, it's much less male-dominated than most cons. So, that was the London Indie Games meetup, which wraps up our tour of the UK convention scene. If you've never been to a convention before, we hope that perhaps some of the discussion here has helped encourage you, or at least you know, assuage any fears or doubts that you may have. I, certainly, before I went to a UK convention, I found the whole thing you know, slightly intimidating. And, you know, personally, I, I don't know about the two of you, I, I found it, it took me a few conventions before I really felt like... I knew what I was doing there before. You know, I, I, I felt like I'd met enough people that I felt vaguely at home. You know, go, going to a place, particularly you know, if if you don't know many of the people there, that's full of strangers who largely know each other, is quite a scary thing. Yeah, it does tend to be quite a community. You know, groups of people that know each other. I can remember when I first started going to conventions, or or in the late nineties when I started going to conventions again. That yeah, I. I I think I just found out where it was and I just went along on my own. I didn't really know many role players in my um, geographical area. So I went along to some conventions and, yeah, I, I, I signed up for a game and I sat in it. And then maybe afterwards, you know, I chatted to the, the other players for a few minutes, but then they'd all head off in other directions. Mm-hmm. But after a little while of playing a few games, you get to recognise a few faces. You know, You tend to sign up to the same games um, as those other people again, or maybe see the, the the GM again. You know, I started to know a few people, and then the next time you go, suddenly there's people saying hello to you. Well, I mean, part of that is because role-playing games are a great icebreaker. I don't think there are too many other ways that a group of, you know, five people who've never met each other before, you know, have never exchanged more than a few words, can sit down and, you know, three hours later feel like they've had a shared life experience. But, yeah, it, it is initially breaking the ice like that. Now, I was very lucky because the first convention I went to, Paul took me and he introduced Helping me to hand. a lot of people. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the point is that, you know, having someone who can help break the ice like that can help introduce you to people is always helpful. If you're in the UK and you're listening to this, you haven't been to a convention before. You know, if it's a convention that one of us go to, you know, come seek us out. I mean, yeah, you know, we'll we'll very happily spend some time with you, introduce you to a few people. We are real people. We do exist. We're not just voices on the end of a microphone. Well, I'm Honest. A, I'm a talker. Well, apart from Scott, one fear I've seen from people online in discussions about conventions is they tend to be full of you know socially dysfunctional people who play games very badly and you will just have terrible game after terrible game. In my experience this is just not true. Yeah, I, 
Oh, no, some people aren't like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get the, the occasional golden nugget. Yeah. Yes. No, I, I, I'm not saying that yeah, every person that you meet at a convention will be a shining paragon of gamerhood. But honestly, the, you know, the creeps and the weirdos are a small minority. Uh, the majority of them are, yeah, just people like you'd meet around your normal game table, as long as they're not creeps and weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I think people might be concerned about is their experience in gaming. I would say don't worry, if even if you're a total uh, newbie and you haven't really gamed very much or you haven't played a particular system at all, generally they'll write on the sign-up sheets if experience is required. But for most of the games, certainly that the three of us run mm. at conventions, I'll be perfectly happy to have people who haven't ever played role-playing games before. Yeah, um, I, I've, I've certainly GM'd a number of convention games for people who have never role-played at all. I've GM'd lots of games for people who have never played that particular system. Yeah, I don't uh, expect people yeah. to have played the system before. I ran Cthulhu Last Dragon Meet for a girl that was probably no older than nine, eight or nine, brought along by her dad. So uh, conventions are much more welcoming places than you may think. You know, everyone is there to have a good time, everyone has shared interests, and yeah, if you're feeling at all like you might be an outsider well you're going to be an outsider in a, you know, a room full of other outsiders all of whom are trying not to be outsiders together the good friends of jackson elias now have a patreon page think of it as an electronic donation box to help with the running costs of the show the podcast will remain free and donations are entirely voluntary follow the patreon link on blasphemoustomes.com thanks for listening If you've been paying attention to the podcast, and I hope at least one of us is, uh, you've probably noticed that we started doing a Patreon campaign uh, to try to convince people to give us money to help pay for the, you know, the not altogether substantial costs, but noticeable costs of actually running this podcast. And some of you have actually been generous enough to do so. We, we are We are honoured... We are touched, and we're actually a bit surprised too, but yeah, thank you. So this is our shout-outs bid. The first level of contribution is temporary insanity at $1 per episode, and we have a special thanks to say to... Steve Ellis. Michael Bowman. Alistair Warmington. David Larkins. And Samwise Crider. Thank you all very, very much. Our next level of contribution at $3 is indefinite insanity. And we have two very generous patrons who have actually given us $3 each. Thank you. So we toast... David Brewer. And Tom Pleasant. Cheers, gentlemen. Hey, cheers. cheers. Chin, chin. That is a tasty white Russian. That is good. <laughs> so is that it? No, of course it's not it. Who, it's not it. who, who came up with this third idea, well, really? I, let, let, let's... Let's just point out that the name of this contribution level is Permanent Insanity. What we didn't realise was that the permanently insane person was you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so two people have actually pledged on the Permanent Insanity level. Yeah, Who would have thought it? We, <laughs> not me. <laughs> I'm going to need this whole White Russian by the end of this. Yeah, Ugh. because Paul had the absolutely fucking brilliant idea... <laughs> That we would sing a toast to the uh, to, to, to the, our two generous contributors. Of course, 
when Paul pitched this to us, we had this contribution level set at $10, and I said, no one is ever going to contribute that. That's then fine. We, then we dropped the contribution level and forgot to take out the bit about the fucking barbershop quartet. <laughs> <laughs> Just drink your white Russian, it'll be fine. <laughs> and I'll tell you, hearing me sing is definitely something that would cost, in, uh, cost sanity. What's the matter? They're permanently insane. Oh, there you go, there. Yeah. So, so uh, for the rest of you, please don't let this embarrassing display that's about to come put you off giving us money. We do appreciate the money. We will put the money to good use. In fact, uh, if you give us more money, we'll stop doing the barbershop <laughs> We can put that in as a stretch goal, yeah. yeah. <laughs> as you may have noticed, there are three of us. So this does start off putting to a lie this whole notion of barbershop quartet. But it doesn't. Do you want to explain, Paul? Isn't he always with us? Ah, uh, ah, uh, yes. In spirit. Yes, I, I, I do feel his cold touch upon my shoulder. If you listen very hard, listener, you can hear the ethereal sounds of Jackson Elias joining in with us. Listen now as we go on a journey into the world of the barbershop quartet. Thank, Thank you. you. Pender Tomlinson. Pender Tomlinson. Thank, Thank you. Benjamin, Benjamin Wenham. Benjamin Wenham. We just wanted to say sorry to all our backers. Sorry for putting you through that. I, actually, I don't know why I'm apologising, because it was Paul's <laughs> fucking idea. Paul, apologise to the listeners. Oh, I think they're, they're, they'll be happy to hear more of it. If you want to hear more of it, if you want to hear us singing your name, all you have to do is chip in $5 an episode. I'll see, I, if, I'll see if I can change the, uh, the, the blurb on that level to something more uh, attainable. <laughs> <laughs> we, what, we will defile your name before... Yeah. Make, make it sound like it's been sung by Servitor of the Outer Gods. I think we achieved that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope you will not be exposed to some of the effects, the processing effects, that Paul managed to put our voices through afterwards there. Well, the auto-tuning was great. Fucking auto-tune! <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> The horror, the yeah. horror. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I think one of our stretch goals should be that yeah, if, if we get say forty dollars an episode from now on, we we disable the autotune function on Paul's computer. What about the pitch correction? No. Well, the one that made you sound like King Kong. <laughs> the, one that, the one that vibrated the computer off the table. <laughs> made, made Scott spit his white Russian out. That was, that was money well spent. <laughs> Seriously, it did. <laughs> So that was uh, quite a few conventions. That's about ten different conventions we just covered there. I, I think I've worked out why my year seems so busy. It's because I go to all these bloody conventions. <laughs> yeah, same here. There's not probably no more than about a month goes by before I'm off to the next one. Yeah, many of them are quite small, like just two or three hundred people. So they don't really they feel like a, a totally different thing to something like Gen Con. But they are nevertheless a convention that takes, you know, several days maybe. But, I mean, they're, they're in England, primarily in England, one in Scotland, you know, isn't that big a place, but there's a lot of conventions packed in. Well, that concludes our overview of UK conventions. I hope you enjoyed listening to this as much as we enjoyed recording it. So it's good night from me. Cheerio from me. And farewell from me. Blasphemous Tomes dot com. Mm-hmm.
sounds. No. no. <laughs> I'm tone deaf now. You what now? <laughs> We're done. Thank you, God. <laughs> We're sorry. We're ever so sorry. 